0: We will begin here in just about a minute waiting for the all right well greetings everybody hello welcome to the latest tomorrow's world uh uh, tomorrow's world facebook live show i have mr rod mcnair and dr douglas winnell with me today really happy to have them both mr mcnair has been on the show before Uh, dr doug winnell has not been on the show before i don't believe uh, but many of you know him, and uh, he's an evangelist with the Living Church of God. And, of course, Mr. McNair and I are also ministers with the Living Church of God. Really happy to have you all on out there uh, on Facebook. A couple comments before we get started into the, uh, the substance of the show today. First of all, today we thought we would answer some questions that we've received from our viewers around the world. We've received questions from all around. You can see those questions on our Facebook page. We've got questions from everywhere, from South Africa to uh, North Carolina, right where we live. So we, we, we're going to answer a few of those questions or at least attempt to talk about them. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention on that note is that we do want your questions. So as the show's going on, please, um, you know, you're, you're on our Facebook page. Please type a comment or a question, Uh, you know, we can't answer all of them live, but we'll we'll try to answer any questions we get. Also, for any of you who are watching us now, share uh, the 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 stream. Tell your friends about it. Share the stream. We want people to uh, to be aware that we are broadcasting live Uh, last uh, couple items before we get started. Where are the headsets? Uh, So as we explained in a couple previous shows, uh, we've got big plans for the show, and we really want to be able to talk to people that are remote from around the world and and have them talk to us and have them talk to you. So we'll we'll need the headsets when we have somebody uh, calling in on Skype from wherever that is, um, but we don't need the headsets if it's just us, so, so that's why no headsets today. So with that, um, I want to um, encourage your questions, and I want to jump into question number one. This came in, I won't... Uh, give the person's full name, but a gentleman named Don. And uh, he asked about a question about the Pope. And um, it was a timely question. Right now, Pope Francis, here's a little uh, article that you don't probably uh, have on your screen, but it's talking about Pope Francis going uh, on a pilgrimage uh, because uh, he wants to deal with uh, um, uh, uh, making a uh, saint some of these uh, these these historic figures. So let me read uh, this this quote. Uh, this is from NCR. Um, NCR online, Pope Francis is undertaking a very different kind of papal trip at the end of this week. Unlike many of the other visits of his pontificate, he's not expected to focus on interreligious dialogue or bring some grand geopolitical message. Instead, the Pope will be be making a little um, Marian devotion. And basically, the article goes on to talk about him visiting um, Fatima, the site in Portugal, where three shepherd children reported seeing Mary in a field in 1917. And so forth and so forth. We've actually written about this before. Uh, one of the questions we've received a number of times about the Pope is why do people call him Father? And we've received questions about you know that in general regarding the Catholic priesthood. Why why do why do the Catholics call the priests Father? What does the Bible say about it? And uh, so I, I know we were talking about that earlier. So, Mr. McNair, were you going to jump in on that?
1: <clears throat> yeah, it's it's. Um... First of all, it's pretty clear that um, it's not from Scripture. Uh, if, if we go only on Scripture, uh, Christ specifically said over in um, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 9, do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Um, so um, obviously we all have physical fathers and we have father figures, um, but it's not a title or a uh, sort of a position that that uh, Christ w- gave to the church, uh, but in fact, when you look at the, the pagan mystery cults, um, there is this this sort of title as Father. Uh, in Mithraism, we see uh, that that was uh, something. And in fact, I just here's a brief description from a a, a source about Mithraism. And it says, the highest of the grades in the Mithraic cult is the deputy on earth of the God himself. He is father to his initiates. So uh, it was even called the father, clearly in a, in a worshipful sense, not in, in a way that God would want us to, to, to do.
2: I think another uh, <clears throat> observation there, too, is that the Pope took over the title Pontificus Maximus which was the title of the leading priest in Rome. And a lot of people today think that he was the, uh, the uh, <clears throat> successor to Peter. Now, we've dealt with this a number of times in things that we published. We had a actually a cover article in the Tomorrow's World magazine in May, June of 2013, looking into this whole thing. And there are actually Catholic scholars that make the comment, there is actually no historical evidence that um, the, pre- the current pope is a successor to Peter, which I think is very interesting.
0: Right, and that title, as you mentioned, it goes back to the first and second kings of Rome. <clears throat> and uh, those kings, especially the second king, not so much the first, but that's a different story. Uh, historically, it's, it's just documented, you know, very, very well that that was paganism. You know, that, that was paganism, and, and clearly that was not uh, Christianity, that was pre-Christian. So that title goes back to paganism.
2: I think one more thing too is that uh, <clears throat> a lot of the people that write uh, for the press and also that make comments in the media have never really studied into church history, so they they're really not familiar with what we're talking about here.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, you, right. You know, you know too. If I can jump in, the, the um, it, it's interesting how the pope is looked at. He's not only looked at it as a father figure, but I recall um, it wasn't Pope Francis, but I think the one uh, Pro- Pope Benedict before, when he was installed, the, the Cardinals actually prostrated themselves totally on the ground in front of him as he was sitting, as he was being installed as Pope. And, uh, you know, Revelation, the last chapter in Revelation, uh, when John Uh, uh, bowed before the the angel and the angel said do not bow before me I am a fellow servant of you uh, to as you are uh, worship God Mm -hmm. and so uh, clearly a, a perversion of something that could be otherwise a, a, a honorable you know f- uh, uh, symbolism. right. I mean, nothing like as you said, nothing wrong. it's appropriate to call your
0: physical dad, your your dad or your father, but to take that title <coughs> which should apply to your physical dad or God the Father, and apply that to a, to another man is a is a uh, misuse of the title. and it, it comes from paganism and and scripture tells us, as you mentioned uh, matthew twenty three nine, you know don't call anybody father except for, for God the Father uh In preparing for this, I was reminded of i think it 's Ro- Romans one seven where paul 's writing to the uh the church in Rome interestingly, so paul 's writing to the church in Rome and he he t- he says grace and peace from God our Father to you uh he mm-hmm. didn 't say grace and peace from me paul the your father or mm-hmm. grace and peace from uh Peter the Father he said grace and peace from God the father that that, that mm-hmm. scripture by itself doesn 't specifically um you know, uh, uh, forbid calling somebody father. But it's interesting. Paul would have known if he should have called himself father or should have called Peter father, you know, he would, he would have maybe mentioned that. Mm-hmm. We do have a couple articles um, uh, on the website. Go to tomorrowsworld.org. Go to tomorrowsworld.org, and you'll find a number of articles. You can search for Pope. Uh, but one of them is um, titled, "Francis Is Francis One, the Final Pope? Uh, we also have a great article series by Dr. Roderick Meredith about the Protestant Reformation. I would really encourage people to read that. Um, if you gentlemen don't mind, next questions. We have a lot of questions that have come in. Hopefully that was somewhat uh, helpful for some people out there. And again, please share this with your friends on Facebook. We want to uh, make sure people know that we're broadcasting and uh, get the word out. So question number two or topic number two is a real big one. And I won't spend a lot of time uh, introducing the question, but there is a lot of news today about uh, you know war, right? whether it's conflict in the Middle East, which is, is very sad. It's been going on for a long time. And we pray for the, the, the refugees and the civilians throughout Syria and so forth. Horrible. But North Korea and so forth. There's been a lot of, um, of talk in the news about war. And um, frankly, we have received a, a number of questions about World War III and Armageddon and so forth. One question that we received was from a gentleman named Nelson. And uh, he wrote, uh, or he asked, is World War III uh, the war between the King of the North and the King of the South. Is World War III that war? The, the war between the King of the North and the King of the South. And uh, there's some discussion in scriptures we, you know, we were talking about earlier. But I think what it might be helpful to ask is, what is the war between the King of the North and the King of the South? What What is that going to be? when Because the Bible talks about that. What will that be?
2: You know, the answer very easily is in... Uh Daniel chapter 11, verse 40 through 44, where it talks about at the time of the end, we're going to see three powers on the world scene. a king of the north, a king of the south, and kings of the east. Now what's tragic today, I think very unfortunate, is that people that write about world events have no understanding of Bible prophecy. Uh, They make statements like uh, we can't predict what's going to happen in international relations because the the subject is so complex uh, and there's so many variables we can't predict. And yet the Bible does in Daniel uh, and also in Revelation, outlines what's going to happen on the world scene, on the world stage, from about 600 BC up until the very end. So what we see in Daniel uh, 11, talking about these three powers, Maybe Mr. McNair would want to go into a little bit more of that.
1: Yeah, that, exactly. Dr. Winnell, um, as he's mentioning, in Daniel 11, and I think it's around verse 40, um, it talks about how uh, the king of the south will provoke the king of the north, and the king of the north will come to uh, against the king of the south with ships and like a whirlwind. And uh, But then what's interesting, then it says that the king of the north will will have news out of the north and east that will trouble him, and then he will go to annihilate many. So clearly, the king of the, the conflict between the King of the South and the King of the North is not the end. It's just a conflict that leads to another distinct event.
2: What's exciting too, is to actually see on the world scene these things coming together. You know, I think I have been, and many of you have been too, watching what we've been writing about and preaching about for literally 50 or 60 years, and we're seeing today Europe coming together, but in a very difficult way. The iron versus the clay—they don't stick together. Uh, this may come apart, but it appears that something's going to come out of Central Europe. Uh, the King of the South appears to be coming together as a Arab Muslim group that's going to be pushing against the King of the North. You know, historically. The Muslims and Islam has is pushed into Europe and tried to get into Europe on several different occasions. The followers of Mohammed, around 700, got up into Spain. Uh, the um, Ottoman Turks, around 1200 to 1300, 1400, were pushing from the east. And they wanted to come into Europe and go the whole way to London, but it never happened. But we're seeing the immigration from North Africa and the Middle East pushing up into Europe. Today it's peaceful so-called. But it does not appear to remain that day, that way. And we're also seeing Russia and China rearming and pushing from the east. We actually ran an article in the uh, News and Prophecy talking about China rebuilding the Silk Road. And they're actually building Uh, railroads, they're building highways, they want to be able to move through the central part of Asia, but this can also be used to transport troops one of these days. Because the Bible talks about a 200 million man army coming from the east. So it's going to be interesting to watch because these things are happening today, but CNN and Fox News are not even talking about these things.
0: It's interesting. You you, you catch these stories on the news and, um, for example, China just finished completing a railway system that goes from China into Spain, the Iberian Peninsula, and now they've just successfully finished another one into the United Kingdom. So exactly what, what you, you said. Um, You know, people look at that from a news point of view and say, well, this is great, you know, commerce. But if you understand Bible prophecy, like you just said, Mm -hmm. you understand that these, uh, these, these tools, these railway systems and so forth can be used to transport troops.
2: You know, Bible prophecy gives us a perspective that is just totally missing from the world news today and is really exciting.
0: Well, and on that, so let's continue talking about the king of the north and king of the south a little bit. Uh, you mentioned uh, a minute ago, Dr. Winnell, about how it is you know, largely peaceful. I know that a lot of, uh, a lot of cities are con- you know, concerned in, in, in Europe and in the UK about Sharia law, things like that. But here's, a, here's an article from uh, – I think this is from Fox. This is from Fox from a couple days ago. And it's just one of many articles that, 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 that come out that say the following. Uh, so the title here is Egypt, ISIS leader vows to escalate attacks on Christians. Now, the, the Church of God is, um, you know, nonviolent. We don't want to see Christians attacking, you know, Muslims or Muslims attacking Christians. Um, but here's what the article says. The leader of the Islamic State affiliate in, in Egypt has vowed to escalate attacks against Christians, urging Muslims to steer clear of Christian gatherings and Western embassies as they are targets of the group's uh, militants. So this is nothing new. This has been going on for quite a while. Uh, last uh, "Quote from this article. Uh, this is from the uh, the leader, the in Egypt, the uh, the the ISIS leader. Targeting the churches is part of our war on infidels," uh, the unidentified leader said in a lengthy interview published by the group's newsletter and so forth and so forth. He also called on Muslims who don't join jihadists to carry out lone wolf attacks across Egypt and complain that a large number of Egyptians were antagonistic to his group's call and mission. So there, there's, you know, there's not um, agreement within the Muslim world that they should all go attack Christians. We don't wanna to try to say there is, but you have this, in light of Bible prophecy, king of the north, king of the south. And what you have, and we've been touching on this already, who is the King of the North? Where is the King of the North? And I think we might want to answer that for our, our audience just plainly. Where is the King of the North? Is that, is that the United States? You know, uh, wh- who's the King of the South? Is that, uh, you know, South America? Uh, no, but you want to answer that question for us?
2: Now our reference point is Jerusalem. So the King of the North is going to be north of there. And it's also going to come out of the ashes of the Roman Empire. Uh, some people think America is going to be the beast. No, the beast is going to come out of Europe because that's where the Roman Empire began and that's where the Roman Empire disappeared and that's where it's going to come out again. Uh, so it's going to be a European power. Uh, it's also called in, in Isaiah 10, that God is going to use the Assyrian to be a instrument in his hands to punish the backsliding Israelite nations. and uh, There are links between Assyria and Germany. In fact, I think the Arabs, even about the 14th century, recognized a connection between Assyria and Germany. The king of the south is also not only south of Jerusalem, but south of Europe. (laughs) It's south of Mm -hmm. the king of the north. After living in Europe for a number of years, they're worried. They're worried about something coming from the south, whether they're missiles. And what we're seeing today is this is where the immigrants are coming from from that south area. And it's very destabilizing. I think France has about 10 million Muslims. Right. And as these, these numbers increase and they begin to get into elective offices, they're friendly to begin with. But then if you don't believe the way they do, and this comes out of the Quran and it comes out of Muslim teaching, that if you don't believe, you got three choices. You either convert or you uh, pay a tax right. or you lose your head.
0: You know, I think sometimes uh, in the United States uh, we aren't as attuned to this as they are in Europe because there are not as many you know, immigrants uh, migrating into the, to the United States as, you know, of, of, of Muslim background and so forth as there are in Europe. So Europe is very concerned. That's one reason that a lot of nations in Europe are looking to Germany, uh, frankly, as, as, a, as a strength and as a leader. Uh, Germany has a great economy. They have a strong military. And, um, you know, there's there's they're looking to them and and they see they're seeing more of an attack on what they see as conservative or historic Christian type government and and values. And so I think we're going to see as the years go by, uh, Germany continue to to grow in that leadership role. And one thing that's going to push that is going to be more of this pressure from the the Muslim world.
2: You know, Europe is not very religious at this point in time. But whenever Europeans begin to feel like their culture is being threatened, not only religiously but everywhere else, you know, with headscarves and and everything else, uh, uh, they're gonna, there's going to be a reaction at some point in time.
1: You know, Doctor Ranelle, too, as you were pointing out, this is this is this is significant. This is different. This is a, a point of of uh, of history of prophecy happening. Because 20 years ago, you did not have this same type of uh, situation in the same way as it is now, uh, where, where there was this, this conflict, this, this antagonism, in the same way. It's really interesting to see how the, uh, the events are being set up for Christ's return uh, in, in such a way that even 20 or 30 years ago was not, was not precipitated.
2: We're seeing a militancy today and if there's going to be a, a militant Muslim push, there's going to be a militant European. All you have to do is look back at the Crusades, mm-hmm. that uh, there the Muslims came in, they, caught, they captured Jerusalem, uh, they, weren't, they were cutting off trade routes and it was the, uh, the Pope that actually initiated these uh, movements of Crusaders to the Middle East. So mm-hmm. we're going to see pushing back and forth. In fact, that's the, one of the terms in Daniel 11, is the king of the south will push against the king of the north. And right now, it's um, migrants coming in. Um, we're going to have to see what happens beyond that.
0: And this leads up to what Christ talked about in Matthew 24. So sometimes people will, will say, well, you know, we want to hear the good news. Well, we talk about the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ will return and clean up this mess and establish God's government on the earth. But Jesus Christ, you know, if we call ourselves Christian, Jesus Christ talked about this, uh, you know, many times, especially Matthew 24. He talked about great tribulation, you know, more than, you know, as, uh, as has not been since the beginning of time, nor ever again will be. And that's, that's end of the age. So this King of the North, King of the South uh, conflict is going to, you know, help set the stage for that. And there's a lot more. So what I would suggest is, Go to tomorrowsworld.org, type in King of the Na- North, King of the South, type in Great Tribulation, do your own research. If there's anything else you want to add, uh, we can, but you want to move on?
2: couple real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Matthew 24 talks about where Jesus said if he doesn't return, that human beings would literally destroy themselves off the face of the earth. Now, you've got Muslims that are looking to uh, create a big explosion, which they feel will bring the Messiah, so that they have no qualms about exploding something and creating a, a, a very difficult situation in the world. So this is going to be it's going to be very sobering to watch.
1: You know one other item when we're comparing and contrasting with World War 3, if we can you know, compare and contrast the conflict between King of the North and King of the South, and the final battle Uh, Zechariah talks about how God will gather all nations against Jerusalem and in the book of Revelation as Dr. Winnell alluded to before talks about a 200 million man army coming from the east and one-third of mankind are killed and then after that it says and yet those who were still alive did not repent of their sorcery and their idolatry and their murders and their uh, fornication etc. And so, you know, as exactly as you're, you're saying, that, the, what's the takeaway? The, the takeaway is that these things are coming because of breaking God's laws. And so our response, and, and the message, the good news, is to, to, to submit to God so that uh, mankind won't be destroyed because even at the end, there will be some who still resist and don't want to obey God. Next question.
0: Next question. <clears throat> this came in from gentlemen. Uh, if Christ was not resurrected on Sunday, does this not weaken the argument of how Christianity has accepted a day not mentioned in the Ten Commandments? Uh, if Christ wasn't rec- was not resurrected on Sunday, does this not you know weaken that argument for Sunday worship? I wanted to throw that out there at you, gentlemen. Um, Wanted to mention that we're going to take a couple, have a couple questions about Easter and so forth. And on that note, I wanted to remind everybody we have a new booklet about Easter um, and the truth behind it. So you can download that from the website if you'd like. In that booklet, there's a great chart uh, which talks about the three days and three nights that Christ was in the tomb. And um, no, Christ was not resurrected uh, Sunday morning. But, anyways, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the resurrection, a little bit about Sunday um, uh, morning uh, worship, uh, comments on that. I know we could talk for hours about that, but quick comments on that.
1: Yeah, it totally takes away the the, the, the point of reasoning of worshiping on, quote-unquote, the Lord's Day, uh, when, when Christ did not uh, rise on Sunday. Um, and it's interesting even that uh, because uh, the scripture that is often used to talk about the Lord's days in in Book of Revelation, John said, "I was in the spirit on the Lord's day," and so what does that mean? We as as our literature has explained, and as we've explained and learned, uh, it's talking about the day of the Lord. He was seeing visions, but even if we do talk about and look at a Lord's day, uh, Luke six five clearly explains that the Sabbath is the Lord's Day. It says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So, exactly, uh, even if we do accept and you know, if, even if we do talk about the Lord's Day, it's the Sabbath. And, uh, and clearly, uh, Christ was not resurrected on Sunday, so the reasoning totally falls flat.
2: A couple of other things, too, that uh, Jesus said, follow me. And if we look at Jesus' example, that's recorded in the scriptures, in Luke four sixteen, Jesus kept the Sabbath. It says, as his custom was. Now some people say, well, that's just custom. We don't have to bother with that. But in Acts in Acts seventeen two, Paul kept the Sabbath. It says, as his custom was, and this this term um, <clears throat> is only used in both of those verses. So so Luke has a very specific point here that Paul was following Jesus Christ. He was following his example. In Acts 13, the early church kept the Sabbath. Uh, they were not keeping Sunday. This, this whole idea that we can change the Sabbath is totally unscriptural. You know, the Catholics basically say if the Protestants are following or keeping the Sabbath, excuse me, if the Protestants are keeping Sunday, then they're following us, the Catholic Church, because we changed the Sabbath to Sunday.
0: And, and many Catholics, many Catholic scholars will admit there's no biblical support for change. the, the change. Mm-hmm. You know, I think maybe we should go back and remind the audience of, of the fundamental scripture in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, and what does it say in, in the Ten Commandments? It says, you know, right. remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall work. The seventh day is the Sabbath. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Uh, it's, it's very clear. There, there's no argument, no legitimate argument about what day the seventh day is. It's Saturday. It's just, there's, there's no confusion. There should not be confusion on that. So as Mr. McNair mentioned, uh, the Lord's Day, Revelation 1 verse 10, uh, yeah, that was a vision that John was seeing about the future and, and all these in-time events. It was not Sunday. It was a vision. How could it have, how could it have been Sunday? The, the Revelation covers more than a thousand years of time. It can't be Sunday It covers, you know, the the Great Tribulation, it covers the Millennium, it goes into the White Throne Judgment, all these prophetic things. Um, It's it's thousands of years, not one day.
2: And Isaiah 66 mentions when Christ returns, they're going to keep the Sabbath from Sabbath to Sabbath. So they're going to be keeping it then. Mm -hmm. Also in Zechariah, it mentions that when Christ returns, uh, the nation that does not keep the Holy Days is not going to get any rain. So, the Sabbath and the Holy Days are part of God's plan and they're going to be kept. They were kept in the Old Testament. The early church kept it until the Catholic Church began to change things. Uh, So, this is going to be very exciting.
1: You know, it's interesting. You you mentioned how Christ kept the Sabbath when He was alive on this earth and we should follow it and we should do it because of His example. And then when you go back to, as you mentioned, Exodus 20, uh, (coughs) what is the command of the sabbath linked to it's linked to the fact that at creation at the as as when God recreated the the earth that he rested on the sabbath that the word the one who became Christ he rested and so even at the very beginning we're doing it uh, as a as a uh, following his, the example of uh, of God of Christ the one who became Christ
2: another issue here too is when was the resurrection mhm that many people think that Christ was crucified on Friday afternoon, went into the grave and came out on Sunday morning. And somehow, they they try to get three days into that because it was fractions of days. And yet, what most people don't realize, there were two Sabbaths the week of the crucifixion. Uh, One was on Thursday, it was a holy day, and then the second was on Saturday. So if he was in the grave three days and three nights, he would have had to come out probably sometime on Saturday evening. And when he, the, when people did come to the tomb on Sunday morning, what did the angel say? He's not here. <laughs> He's yeah. not here. He's risen. He
0: was, he was gone. Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> we had another question about uh, Easter and bunnies and so forth. What <clears throat> do bunnies and eggs have to do with Christ? Uh, not, not much. Um, and uh, I, I would suggest, let's let's talk for another minute about um, sort of, you know, because the question is about sunrise worship. And we know in Ezekiel 8, uh, we don't have time to go into it, but it talks about uh, them facing the east and it's a, it's a, it's a sunrise worship and, and God calls it pagan. God calls it an abomination. So uh let's, let's talk a little bit about um I, well the question was what do bunnies and easter eggs have to do with christ that's that's the question um the maybe, answer is nothing right <laughs> so you know it's it's not that we um it's not that we, we we question or make fun of anybody who who's sincere but people have been deceived tricked people haven't mm-hmm. taken the time to, to look at history and a lot of people just need to look at the bible and prove it for themselves and ask themselves Hmm. Okay. Here it is. Ezekiel 8 talks about the sunrise worship and God calls it an abomination. (laughs) You go to an encyclopedia. It talks about the fact that sunrise services pre-existed Jesus Christ by hundreds of years. So are we adopting something that's pagan or are we really following the example of the apostles and Jesus Christ? You know, that's the question that we need to ask.
2: Yeah, You right. made a very important point that we're we're not here to criticize, we're not here to make fun of anybody. Because many people that observe uh, Easter, observe Christmas, they're sincere. They They believe that they're obeying God. And yet we're also told to prove all things and to hold fast to those things that prove to be right and true. And when you look into, and anybody can do this, go to encyclopedias, go to Wikipedia, look up Easter, look up Christmas, look up these these pagan holidays, you find out where they came from. And all of this stuff was incorporated into the early church in the 300s and the 400s, as the Catholic Church was becoming uh, a power of its own. And and they make this statement in their literature that we wanted to be able to make it easier for pagans to convert to quote-unquote Christianity. And if we give a new name to Easter instead of the Passover, if we give a new name to Christmas and say it's the birth of Christ, uh, they can still keep their customs and still do what they have they enjoy doing but they're doing it in a different sense. But the Bible says don't learn the way of the heathen. Don't follow these things. And this is one of the reasons that the ancient nations of Israel and Judah went into captivity. Because they looked over the fence, they saw what their neighbors were doing in other nations, and they started doing those things, and as a result they were punished by God.
1: You know, Dr. Winnell, as you're saying uh, exactly how many people don't know any better, they've been deceived, and they fall prey to how these deceptions even hit them where they're vulnerable and that is in the children, or with the children. If you think about it, all of the the pagan holidays, what do they center around? Uh, A a lot of the symbolism, it centers around children, it focuses on children. There's a uh, website I was looking at just uh, real quick before we started, uh, this is just a, a, an outside source about uh, a common source about the origin of Easter, and they explain that the bunnies and eggs, you know, were associated with pagan uh, practices, but then uh, they, they 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 reason a certain way. But at the end, I, I thought this was interesting. Here's a quote: It's very likely that children play an important role in the origin of the fun side of Easter. Uh, and for Christians, this is a, a they're, they're quoting a, an author. For Christians, this is a serious holy day dealing with issues of life and death. Because of the difficulty of sharing these big issues in age appropriate ways, sometimes we divert to the more lighthearted symbols of eggs and rabbits, hence the proliferation of Easter egg hunts and at churches. So it's interesting, even if, if we would only go with the issue of life and death, there, there's this. No, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about something that the children will will enjoy more. Whereas Jeremiah 17 in verse two specifically talks about how 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 they the children were played preyed upon uh, in 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 these uh, idolatrous uh, practices, and, uh, and and certainly we need to follow God's example, not just go with what well maybe what our children will like.
2: You know, I grew up going to Sunday School in several different Protestant churches. And nobody ever explained to us, as children, where these practices came from. Uh, we, just, we just weren't aware. And it was not until coming into contact, really, with the Church of God that I began to realize all this information is there, but nobody's saying anything about it. And that was, it was quite eye-opening.
0: I think it's one of the things that's very unique about uh, real, true Christianity is that uh, we don't ask you to believe what we're telling you. We want you to go to your Bible and prove it, pray about it, read it, and uh, don't just follow the traditions that are out there. Uh, Americans, but people all around the world, they, they sort of pride themselves in not wanting to be told what to do and, and blindly follow. But yet, that's what a lot of the world does. And, and what we tell you is, don't blindly follow. Prove it for yourself, and uh, and and then you know, fear God, and 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 we need to move on. Um, I've got one more question that I really want to cover, because uh, I know a lot of people have been asking this type of question. This is about the temple. When will the temple be rebuilt? And uh, we can talk about that just for uh, for a few seconds or a few minutes before we wrap up. There's an article, uh, Newsweek article, that came out a, about a week or two ago, and it was uh, I'll read it. It says, for probably the first time in two thousand years. Priests wearing white gowns and sounding trumpets sacrificed a sheep inside the walls of Jerusalem's old city. Wow, first time in 2,000 years. Sacrificed a sheep inside the walls. A um, little more on that. An ancient Jewish tradition <clears throat> dictates priests dipped the animal's blood on the altar set up at the site. It was inflated, roasted, and eaten. Uh, Israeli police and veterinary services supervised slaughter and so forth. It was crowd-funded and received a bunch of, 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 of funding. The question is, why are the – it's a two-part question, and we'll kind of wrap up on this. Why are the Jews so desirous to do this? Is there a biblical reason for that? And what is the implication of end-time sacrifices and or the temple being rebuilt?
2: Well, I think there are two implications. Number one, the Jews want to restore their worship. So, they use the Old Testament, and they talk about sacrifices and offerings. So, that's kind of their motive. But in terms of Bible prophecy, we're told that Christ is going to return just after the sacrifices are reinstituted. So, we read this in Daniel. Uh, They're going to be stopped at a certain point in time. Uh, So, in order to be stopped, they've got to start. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, prophetically, if we see sacrifices starting uh, in Jerusalem, we are getting close to the return of Jesus Christ. That's biblical prophecy.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and again, yep. Jesus Christ Himself made that point in Mark thirteen. When you see these abom- the abomination of desolation, so it goes. And He, <clears throat> and he says, "Spoken of, of by Daniel," was talking about sacrifices. Mm-hmm. You know, know that the the time is is uh, is wrapping yep. up. Flee to the
1: mountains. So, and you know, another part of that is that a temple doesn't have to be built right. for it to be accomplished. Just like in the, um, in Ezra, where even before, I think it says, before the foundation of the temple had been laid, they already built an altar and they were already offering sacrifices. So they don't have to build the temple before offering sacrifices on an altar.
2: I think there's a temptation too today that many people want to set dates and they want to know exactly when these things are going to happen. The Bible gives us events to watch for, not so much dates. So if we're watching world events, and we see sacrifices starting, and we know they're going to be stopped, uh, these are the events to watch for. Uh,
0: before we wrap up, I want to thank you, gentlemen. Uh, it's been a good conversation. We have comments from all around the world, so I think we might have uh, content for another good show. <laughs> Hopefully, everybody out there um, you know, enjoyed the, uh, the conversation. I want to say hello to people from all around South Africa, Australia, and so forth. I uh, want to also remind everybody out there that you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and also subscribe to our podcasts. We put podcasts up of the uh, magazine, uh, audio of the magazine, but we also put um, audio podcasts up of the show. And a lot of people said they really appreciate that. They can listen to the podcast uh, later. want to ask you, gentlemen, if you have any final comments or questions about the temple or about sacrifices, or anything else we talked about today, any articles you'd like to recommend. Uh, encourage everybody to go to tomorrowsworld.org, of course. But any concluding comments? <laughs> <laughs> Covered it all. <laughs> Good. Well, <clears throat> um, I was going to mention the booklet you have uh, right there. Would you, would you hold that up? So <clears throat> uh, this uh, Bible Factor Fiction, uh, hop online, take a look at, at this uh, booklet. You can request a, a copy to be sent to you for free. And one uh, comment, or one, one point I want to make, is <clears throat> the author of this booklet talks about the preservation of both the Old Testament and the New. And uh, it's very important, I think, for us to understand that entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God's Word, and it's inspired by God for our, our you know, our edification. And um, we need to not be afraid of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. but we live in under the new covenant and we need to understand what that means. And that's a whole nother show. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Bible, uh, the Bible used to be, uh, you know, owned by everybody. There were multiple copies on, on everybody's uh, table. And I'd encourage people to request that booklet. Dr. Murnau, I think you're going to make and another quick Let's not quick forget comment. that the author of this
1: booklet is sitting right next to me.
2: <laughs> also, we were talking about the beast, and we have a booklet entitled The Beast of Revelation. Uh, this is also very informative in terms of where this beast is going to come from, what he's going to do in the years just ahead.
0: Yeah, good. Both, both good, both us. Join us next time. The topic will be about the weather, weather disasters, who controls the weather. Thank you all for joining us. Share the, uh, the stream, please, and uh, ask your friends to, uh, to take a look at it. We hope that today's conversation was helpful. See you next time, uh, Thursday, 3 o'clock Eastern. See you then.
2: Very good.